spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we're joined by Alan Lightman. He is a novelist, a physicist, he's currently the professor of the practice of humanities at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He's an author of many different interesting books, and just to name a few, The Accidental Universe, Einstein's Dreams, A Sense of the Mysterious, A Song of Two Worlds, Living with the Genie, The Discoveries, And that is just a few of the list. The list is massive. So within the journey of seeking knowledge, it reminds me of a chessboard. You have a part of your mind that is sort of calculating and looking for calculations and more solid and more meaningful and measurable answers. And on the other side side of the mind, you have the part of the mind that actually understands the mystery, the unknown, and understands that the answer is less important. And in the giant chessboard that is life, we have scientists naming things, identifying and distilling things so that there are only one single meaning of a thing, like an equation. And on the other hand, we have philosophers who who sort of try to avoid naming things. The scientist works by formulating questions that have definite answers, while in the philosopher's mind, the answer is less important, and often an answer does not exist. And in the science, in, and in sciences, it is the truth in the world of mass and force, the external world, and in the side of philosophy, it is the truth in the world of the mind and the heart, the internal world. However, on some occasions, these two worlds might seem so far away from each other. However, it is these two different sides of the chessboard that bring balance to it all. Both the science, scientist and the philosopher, in my opinion, have th- three huge things in common. In the first one, at the end of the day, they are both seeking. Number two, the chessboard needs both squares if the game is to be played. And number three, once the chess game is over, all the pieces go back into the same box. And actually, and number four, they both drink coffee and they both smell of cheese. <laughs> so anyway, my, in my opinion, today's guest is someone who doesn't smell of cheese, <laughs> but someone who really understands and brings forward this balance of science and philosophy. So within this podcast, just to give you a quick breakdown of all the things that we dive into, we talk about having a more creative outlook on life and translating and using that to translate translate over and help us answer the bigger questions about life. And with Alan also being a poet, we talked about poetry and expressing your thoughts, using poetry to express your thoughts about the universe. We also talked about the spiritual universe. We talked about transcendental experiences we also talked about an experience that alan had which was very beautiful and he explains a beautiful story about it we also talk about feeling connected with something bigger than ourselves and what these moments and what truths they actually provide us 
We talked about the possibility of actually biologically opening up the neural pathways in our mind when asking questions. And, and Alan goes into a bit of the science behind that, which is incredible. We talked about multiple universes versus multiple spiritual universes. We talked about some new scientific breakthroughs. We also touched on the possibility that technology in the future could actually capture a dream or out-of-body experience or a psychedelic, psychedelic experience in the future. So much more. So just before we jump this one, I just want to say thanks so much to all the incredible people over at Patreon who have decided to support the podcast. It really means a lot to us. And for every anyone who hasn't decided to become a Patreon member yet, it would be absolutely amazing if you could consider joining the Patreon community and support the podcast. And when you also become a Patreon member by donating a certain amount each month, even if it's only $2 a month, you will gain access to content that is only available to Patreon subscribers. Bonus content and other rants. And these conversations and bonus rants, bonus conversations and bonus rants that we do put on there are really starting now to rack up more and more on the page now. We're constantly adding new, more and more new conversations. And we've actually just added a new bonus conversation called the warrior versus a monk where we talk about taking time away from things finding stillness finding meaning in things and we talked about the possibility as well of past lives as ancient greeks <laughs> but anyway we're constantly adding new bonus conversation and other rants over at the patreon page and over the next few weeks we're really going to be starting ramping that up more and more so anyway, if all this does tickle your fancy and you do want to support the podcast and gain access to bonus content, all you need to do is go to the Ascend podcast website and hit the subscribe button. And also in the description of this episode, we have a link that you can go to or alternatively, you can go to www.patreon slash ascend and choose any amount to support the podcast and you will gain access to bonus rants and other stuff. And if you can't support the podcast, that is also absolutely fine. We understand that. We really just appreciate the fact that you are actually just taking time out your day to listen to this thing. So anyway, without further ado, Alan Lightman, enjoy. dive in start diving into some of the more meaty stuff we'd just love to touch on the aspect of your like poetry and your creative life, outlook they like, had when, when you were younger because you were someone who doesn't have like just a science base you also were like an incredible poet and an author growing up and you like developed a love for like mathematics and art how do you think having a more creative outlook on life translated to helping you answer some of the bigger questions well that's a that's a good question um I don't really know the answer to that. Um, it, it, uh, the reason why I can't answer the question is because most of the great scientists that I've known, and I, I would not put myself into that category, but the great scientists that I've known also had an interest in the humanities and the arts as well. Mm. So... To really answer your question, we have to find a great scientist who had no interest in the, in the humanities or arts, but, but still 
or was a visionary scientist, and I just don't know of any examples of that. So it seems to be the case that the people who uh, go into science deeply enough to enough to to make contributions uh, also have a, a fairly large view of the world, which includes the humanities and the arts. So that's that's the best answer I can give to your question. Yeah, I, I love that, by the way, as well, Alan. And um, I was actually thinking as well. I mean, do you feel as well sometimes that with you doing your poetry and things like that, do you feel that in a sense that poetry for you is is one of the actual best ways to sort of express your thoughts about the universe? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think that there are, ve- there are very limited means of expression in science. Um, uh, even though, uh, as I said before, that uh, scientists, uh, great scientists, uh, often uh, have an interest uh, in the, sci- the arts and the humanities, the work itself um, is pretty disembodied and uh, dehumanized. And that's what gives it science its great strength, that the, the experiment that the, the groundbreaking experiment in science is one that can be reproduced in laboratories all over the world, and the, the groundbreaking new theories in mathematics are those that can be re-derived by other people around the world. And uh, that, uh, so the, 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 the individual scientist becomes detached from the work itself. And, and that's what gives science its power. Whereas in the arts and humanities, but especially the arts, the, the, the essence of the work is the individual artist. Um, uh, you, you, you can't imagine uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony without Beethoven or James Joyce's The Dubliners without James Joyce. I mean, his presence is, is everywhere over through that book, whereas you can imagine the theory of relativity without Einstein or the theory of natural selection without Darwin. So that's a profound difference, I think. Yeah, I love that. I love that, by the way. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, your TED Talk as well, and you really emphasize on the point of like the difference between like science and maths and like artist and po- artery and poetry, because you really emphasize the fact that in science and maths, it is very precise and it is like requiring an answer. I mean, mathematics will give you this perfect answer and it is yes. there is something concrete about it and that is fascinating. And I loved it when you touched on like when you talked about poetry and art and when you said it, um, you said basically that the whole format of poetry and art is that it actually doesn't have something concrete at the end of it, but there is something so beautiful and unique that it is the end of it. And... And I think, and like when you actually mix them two together, this is why I think you're a quite a unique person, Alan, because you actually, you've actually came from both worlds where you've actually seen the beauty, you've seen the beauty of the art, and you can appreciate it. And like when you adapt that with a concrete structure like it, such as maths and science, you get a, such a like different outlook when you're actually asking the bigger questions on the universe, and you're not just like looking for something concrete, but you're also looking for like the beautiful like spiritual aspect as well. And I yeah. think I think that's what yeah. a lot of people might need to do now in science i think that's maybe that's what science needs do you agree well i do agree with you um i do think that that some of the 
the boundaries, if you go to the, the boundary of science, the, 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 the furthest uh, that it can go at the edges, uh, for example, in, in, in cosmology, if you ask about uh, the Big Bang, what started the Big Bang, where did it come from? Or uh, in biology, if you ask about the, uh, where did the architecture of the human body or any living creature come from, that those questions do take you to the boundary between science and theology, philosophy, art, certainly philosophy, because a lot of the, the great questions that philosophers have pondered for thousands of years have been answered recently by science. Um, of course, there, there's still many, many unanswered questions, and that's, that's what makes the scientific enterprise exciting. But um, the, there are questions that were once thought to be theological or philosophical that have now moved into the realm of science or con and are considered legitimate scientific inquiry, uh, such as the question, uh, is the universe uh, eternal or did it have a beginning at some finite time in the past? Uh, that used to be a theological and philosophical question, but uh, science has actually found an answer to that question. It has moved into the realm of science. Well, that's very fascinating you said that, by the way, and I would love to touch on that point when you were talking about how there's a lot of, in the past, a lot of philosophical questions that were being asked have now sort of bled into the, uh, the science side of things. I mm. mean, do you, do you continue saying that? Do you, do you, in the future, do you sort of envision where that will, that thread may continue to keep happening, where more philosophical things that I spoke about now may actually be proved by science in the future? Well, I think it will happen. Uh, that we're, we're seeing it happen. Um, but I do believe that there will always be unanswered questions. And I think that there will always be a place for theology and philosophy. Yeah and aesthetics. I don't think, uh, however far science goes in the future, and of course we, we, we don't know where it's going, it's, it's, it's happening so fast recently, um, the progress is, has been so great. Um, I don't think there will ever be a satisfying scientific explanation of why a particular man falls in love with a particular woman or with another man. Or I don't think there will be ever be a scientific explanation for why um, Rembrandt's self-portrait painting uh, appeals to us. Uh, I don't think there will ever be a scientific explanation of the question of whether it is ethically okay to kill an enemy soldier in a time of war. I don't think there will ever be a scientific explanation of the question of whether God exists. Um, I think the, that science can never prove or disprove the existence of God. So the, the, to me, there will always be uh, important and, and stimulating and provocative and beautiful questions of theology and aesthetics and philosophy that are not 
answerable by science. They're just different domains of inquiry, and I think we need we need all all of those questions. We need all of the different domains of inquiry. Uh, I think that's part of what makes us human. Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. I think the the balance of them questions as well, sort of the balance of it not being one way or the other. I think that's what makes the makes the human experience so beautiful. It's like you were saying as well before, but before as well, just to touch back on a point you were saying before as well, I was would love to know in your field now, like in the when you are working with different scientists and things like that, in in the realm of working with scientific people, do you actually think are you now seeing some sort of more like a resurgence, or more people now actually more sort of open to sort of alternative possibilities like the spiritual side of life and things like that well i i don't i don't think so with 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 science itself mm-hmm. uh, uh i i think that that uh that science scientists uh have not really changed uh since uh the time of of of, of galileo uh, and understanding what the scientific method consists of, and uh, understanding that that, that there's uh, that the 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 realm of science is the material universe, and uh, we believe in science that the material universe uh, has uh, obeys laws that are discoverable by human beings. Um, uh, I think that. That, that it is, has always been the case, and, and today certainly, that there are uh, a certain fraction of scientists who believe in God. Uh, there are a certain fraction of scientists who believe in a spiritual universe and, and a non-material universe. But I don't really believe that that, that has changed very much, uh, let's say, in the last uh, 200 years. I mean, if we go back to the time of Isaac Newton in the 17th century, then then everybody was religious, everybody believed in God, including Isaac Newton himself. But if we look at, at, at modern times, which I would take to be, let's say, the last couple of hundred years, I think that the degree of spirituality and religiosity of scientists has remained about the same. Now, it is true that in recent years that science has, has entertained some speculations that are really unprovable uh, by science. For example, the speculation that there are many other universes besides our universe, which is, that idea is called the multiverse. And uh, we have, uh, that, that idea has emerged in the last 25 or 30 years to explain certain phenomena in, in our universe. There's no way that we can prove or disprove the existence of these other universes. So that that is something that that scientists have to take as on a matter of faith. And uh, I'm not sure whether you would call that spirituality, uh, but it it certainly is accepting uh, certain propositions that cannot be proven by science. Yeah. Uh, Alan, I think when you touched on like... uh like the, the multiverse there, when you estimated that it's only been about 30 years, I mean, if we look at what um, science has achieved, 30 years of, like, looking at something in itself isn't isn't that particularly long in science. I mean, like, imagine, like, what a, what a team of scientists over, like, the longer periods of, like, maybe 100, 200 years looking at the multiverse, do you, like, there could be so much more, like, 
investigation, much more study, research, and development in, in that sort sort of thing. Do you think like, do you think with stuff like now that we've actually seen like these ideas of the multiverse become like very recent, do you think like over time all this will be discovered as well? Well, it's hard to say what will be discovered in the future in science. And and one thing we've learned in science is to never say never. But the the definition of a universe um, is a region of space and time that has no connection to anything else, uh, either from the infinite past to the infinite future. So um, according to our that what we mean by the very word a universe, the different universes in a multiverse are disconnected from each other always from the infinite past to the infinite future. And so as a matter of definition, those universes could never communicate with each other. And it's very hard to imagine an experiment, even a very theoretical conceptual experiment that could prove the existence of other universes if there's no way for us to communicate with them. The best that could happen in terms of the multiverse idea is we may have a theory of our universe. Uh, It might be uh, the super grand unified theory of physics that is so accurate and complete in predicting everything that we see in our universe that we trust it when applied beyond our universe. And if such a theory predicted the existence of other universes and was completely accurate in all of its predictions for our universe, that would lend credibility to the existence of other universes. It would not constitute proof, but it would lend credibility. And I think that's probably about the best that we can achieve looking to the future. Yeah, powerful, powerful that, by the way, as well. And uh, before as well, uh, Alan, when you were slightly touched on, you used the word uh, spiritual universe. Um, I know as well, there was a chapter in your book as well where you were exploring the sort of the, the possibility of being a spiritual universe. Could you actually uh, delve a bit further into that and explain what you meant by that? Well, uh, I, I can give my personal definition. And I think when it comes to uh, spirituality and God, that, that everybody has their own view. I I don't think there's any universal definition of God or any universal definition of spirituality. But when I talk about spirituality, uh, and in these terms I regard myself as a spiritual person, I mean the belief that there are things larger than ourselves, that there is uh, an order to the universe uh, that we don't understand, uh, that there there's beauty in the universe, and that that there are uh, values. And I, I don't think that there. When I say values, I mean uh, something like the golden rule yeah. that we should do unto others as, as they, we want them to do unto us. I don't think that 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 that, that is a cosmic value, but I think that it is such a, a sweeping and universal value that it's something that I would want to live my life by. 
and and combining all of those things together is is what I mean by spirituality. Uh, my spirituality does not necessarily include the existence of a divine being, uh, but I think there there still is a lot of room for spirituality without believing in God. Yeah, I love that by the way, Alan as well. And that's a beautiful explanation by the way. And, and we're, we're me and Chris are both would both nod in our heads when you were, when you were. Uh, explaining your sort of version of spirituality and the spiritual universe because it's completely what you were saying there it's completely in line with our our own thoughts as well so it was really sort of uh, good when you said that there and um when you were saying there before about um you used the word order to the universe that we don't understand and i'm completely with you on that as well because there is there's loads of different experiences that that come up in life that we know that science is struggling to sort of um explain and, and explain and things like that i mean but i was actually wondering to you to just for you to get to that point of view as well i was actually wondering have you actually had any sort of like transcendental experiences where that where that sort of that truth of there is more to the universe has actually come through to you well, I think all of us have had what I would call transcendent experiences where we, we, we feel for a few moments or maybe longer that we are connected to something much larger yeah. than ourselves. I can describe one of those to you for myself if, 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 if you want, but I, I don't need to. Yeah, yeah cool. You go ahead. We'd love to hear it. You'd love to hear that. Okay. Well, uh, every... Uh, my, my wife is a painter, and and uh, I'm a writer as well as a scientist. And we uh, every year for the last uh, 30 years, we have spent uh, living uh, the summer on an island in Maine. We do this just for the summer. We have a house on this small island in Maine, uh, which is on the northeast part of the U.S. And uh, we have a house there, and about. Uh, a hundred feet from the house is a tall tree that has an osprey's nest in it. And uh, every year we watch the ospreys go through their life cycles. Um, uh, and, and in April or so, the, the parents uh, fly to the nest from wherever they've been vacationing. Um, the mother lays eggs. Um, the father helps uh, rebuild the nest. Uh, then the eggs hatch in June. The babies are born, usually two baby ospreys, and they grow up during the summer. And by uh, mid-August, the babies are big enough to have their first flight. And uh, I don't know... Uh, whether you're familiar with an osprey, but it's a very, very large bird. Um, it's the, the second largest flying bird after the eagle. It has a, a long wingspan of several feet. It has powerful claws, and it lives mainly, mainly by catching fish. And uh, my wife and I have a, have a summer house, and it has a, a, a circular deck on the second floor, sort of like a circular platform. And, and I, through the summer, will stand out on that circular platform. It's about eye level with the nest. And I look over at the ospreys, and they look over at me. And to them, it looks like I'm in my nest because it's a circular deck about eye level with them. 
So one summer, this happened about, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. I had been, uh, every day of the summer, I had been standing on my deck looking over at the ospreys, and the baby ospreys were looking at me, and they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and we had been sort of looking at each other every day. And finally, uh, mid-August came, and the, the babies were big enough to take their first flight. Um, they had been in the nest all summer long, never having flown. And even a baby osprey uh, is a big bird um, with very powerful talons. So these two, uh, I'll call them adolescent ospreys, took their first flight, their maiden voyage in the air out of the nest. And they did this large circular uh, path, maybe about a half mile in diameter over the ocean and then turned around at the end of the circle and began heading straight for me as I stood on this circular deck of my house outside. And they were coming at me at great speed, um, kind of like an F-15 airplane with claws on it. And uh, uh, I was uh, frightened. Um, Uh, but for some reason, I, I did not run into the house. I just stood there watching them, and they came closer and closer to me. And when they got about uh, 15 feet away, very, very close, I could hear the air disturbed by their wings. They were so close. They suddenly accelerated upward and over the house. But for about a half a second right before they accelerated upward, they made eye contact with me. And I have been unable really to describe what passed between us during that half second of eye contact. Um, I've never had that intimate experience with, with any animal, including dogs, cats, uh, it seemed to me that in that half second, they were saying to me, and it was almost as if they were talking, I felt that they were saying that we are brothers, that we have shared this land together, and be well, my friend. Yeah. It was something like that. Hmm. And um, after they flew upwards, I realized that I was shaking and I was in tears. And I think that's a transcendent experience. Yeah, it is, it is definitely, definitely that. I love yeah. that. I really love that story, by the way, as well. It's a beautiful story. And um, it says to me as well, just it just ties into what you were saying before as well, how you are sort of that feeling of that, that story and that sort of experience that you went through. It does tie into the fact that we are all sort of connected to something, like you said before, yes. connected to something bigger than we understand. Yes, yeah, I felt connected to the ospreys, and I con con felt connected to nature, and I felt connected to the universe. Yeah, I love that. I was actually wondering as well, just a question from that as well. I mean, why do you think, because I mean, we you've, you've had experiences like that. Me and Chris ourselves have had mm. experiences like that. And I know a lot of people in the world have had experiences like that. But I was, why do you actually, I would love to ask you this question. Why do you think 
in in sort of life, we all sort of get a glimpse of these sort of connections uh, to certain things, and we have these experiences. I mean, I mean, what truth? I was actually thinking, what truth do you think these sort of moments are actually trying to transcend over to us? Just to go a little bit deeper. Well, I don't know. Um, I think that that if we if, a, if, a, if, a, if an individual is is sensitive, if, if they are open to the world around them, then they will have experiences like that because things happen like that. Um, I think if a person is going about a robotic life and they're just looking at the ground all of the time and just going about their business and living by the clock, uh, then they're going to miss out on a lot of beautiful things happening in the world. Whether or not there is a grand intelligence behind such experiences, I don't know. Um, if there is a grand intelligence behind it, it would it would exist outside of the material world. It would not be analyzable by science and that that's a question I just don't know the answer to but uh, I think anybody with their eyes open can see that there are a lot of amazing wonderful beautiful exquisite things happening in the world and if you look you will see them yeah, I, lo- I love that, by the way, Alan, as well. Beautiful way to put it in there. Yeah. I was actually thinking in my head as well when you were saying there, you've got to be open to see it. And it's so true because I think even just in my life as well, I've said this to Chris before, but there's loads of things that I wouldn't even seen a few years ago. And now mm-hmm. in my life, I'm seeing a lot more things. And for me, it's like sort of a, I mean, you might, this might tie into a bit of your more understanding on, on the science side of things. And I would, this might be a question to ask you as well. Maybe, and maybe in the future this is actually something that needs to be explored but I'm actually making the making the assumption here or theory that maybe something some sort of neural pathway in the mind actually gets opened I mean could that actually be possible mm-hmm. yeah I I, I I do think that's possible um, I mean at the at the physiological level um, the neuroscience level we know that the neurons of the brain, are capable of forming new synapses. Um, in fact, that's what they do in some f- forms of long-term learning, uh, new connections to other neurons. So, so literally speaking, there can be new pathways in the brain. But I think, I think you're probably speaking more of just new ways of thinking. Yeah. And um, I love having new experiences. Um, I love taking adventures. I love going to new places I haven't been before. I love seeing new kinds of art that I haven't seen before, reading new writers I haven't read before, because I, I, I love to be constantly learning and finding out about new ways of, of looking at the world. And we see this happen in science, too, that um, a, new, uh, a new branch of mathematics will open up uh, will be discovered by someone uh, that that opens up all kinds of new ways of 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 of, of solving problems. Um, there's just many many examples of that uh, in 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 mathematics and physics, where a new mathematical technique has been discovered. Um, 
we have uh, a new satellite that was launched uh, just a few years ago called the Kepler satellite, which was designed specifically for finding habitable planets, for looking at the slight variations in the light of stars that indicates uh, orbiting planets. And uh, we found all of these habitable planets in the universe. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we discovered the first gravitational waves coming from outer space from the collision of two black holes, um, which is a totally new uh, channel of observing the universe. It's like um, being able to see color when you could only see black and white before. Gravitational waves are different from electromagnetic waves. They're different from the, the the waves that carry our cell phone signals and our radio stations. It's a completely new kind of phenomena. Uh, some objects in the universe create gravitational waves. Um, and uh, I just wanted to note the date. It's, it's uh, September 27th now. The Nobel Prize in Physics is going to be announced on October 3rd. And my prediction is that it will be given to the scientists who led that gravitational wave experiment that discovered the two colliding black holes just uh, a year and a half ago. Um, one of those scientists, uh, Ron Drever, was from your part of the world. Very unfortunately, he passed away a few months ago, but he would have shared that upcoming Nobel Prize if he were still alive. That's fascinating. Um, and Alan, um, I know Dan touched back on it, um, straight back on your, your story, which was a beautiful story, by the way. And it was, and it really hit me straight away. And I, and I actually felt very clearly what you were feeling when you actually seen them, um, um, what them birds were. The osprey. Yeah, the osprey. Yeah. Yeah, when they were coming straight for you. And, and I actually felt that moment. I was really visualizing it. And I could really feel like the connection you shared. And, what it actually made me think it actually made me think that these moments themselves i know i know you said like what what dan asked was like what truth do you think these moments are trying to transcend over us and i think the truth i actually seen there was i seen this truth of this emotional connection and this mm -hmm. and like this this emotional connection i think is something that science can never really truly understand i think it is it's it's probably the ultimate um scientific quest to really understand human emotion because there's so mm -hmm. many of us who explore these different human the emotional mm -hmm. contexts. I mean, somebody else could be right there in that very moment experiencing the exact same thing what you uh, felt, but their emotional context of that experience could be completely separate from yours. And this yes. is what I love about science, right? Because it does try and it does try and pinpoint an accuracy to that level. But I also think as well, like just that emotional context in itself and like you being there in that moment and really experiencing that connection, that is something beyond science, from beyond religion, beyond anything really, because that is the human experience in a, in a forefront and and it's just all about life itself. The truth of their moments to me is to just live for that emotion, live for that experience where you're ex experiencing that essence of love. I mean, you said something perfect before when you said, um, how can science ever explain like how one man is in love with a woman? And the idea is how that person is in love with that person because 
if that was the case, we'd all be in love with the same woman or the same man, and we're, <laughs> we're not. We're not that scientific experiment. We're, well, that's is, a, isn't that what happens at some swinging parties? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but uh, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, you could, you could, uh, you could hook up uh, an EKG machine to my brain. And, and monitor the brain waves and, and the, the, the detailed electrical impulses of all of the 100 billion neurons at that moment when the ospreys made eye contact with me. And you still would not understand, after getting the readout from 100 billion neurons, you still would not be able to explain what that emotional connection was like. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, um, famous... Um, Scientist himself said, um, I can't remember his name, I'm going to butcher this, but he says, um, you can analyse a bat and you could really like understand its flight movements, its patterns, its um, sleep, the way it sleeps, everything about the bat. You can really even analyse it, you can like dissect it and you can find out everything about a bat, biology and everything, but truthfully, you'll never understand what it is to be a bat. And that's, yeah. I think that's a very interesting part. I can't remember who said it, but I'll have to put that in the show notes when I find it. Yes, yes, I, I know the... I know the passage you're talking about, and I, I can't remember the scientists either, but yes, I remember that. Yeah, I love that, by the way, and I love that, Chris, as well. And before as well, just to jump back to a point you said as well, Alan, before as well, because I wanted to touch a bit about but on it before when you were talking about, we were talking about the spiritual universe. I mean, this was a question I was actually thinking of because I was reading the passage in your book. I mean, do you actually think that um, the spiritual universe is actually outside of the physical universe, or do you actually think it's sort of something that is... I know this is a big question, it's probably a multi-million-dollar question, but I just want to see your thoughts. But do you actually think, or could it actually be that the sort of the spiritual universe is actually coexisting alongside the physical universe? Have you ever have any thoughts around that? Well, um, I think that, that you really can't answer that question uh, because the... Uh, it could be it, it could be any of those things. The, the, the spiritual universe does not exist in, in regular time and space, whatever it is. It's 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 not of time and space. And so when you talk about where it is, that sort of that requires a, a spatial orientation. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so it you can't really say where it is in space because it, it doesn't inhabit space. Um, so if, if you want to think of the spiritual universe as being always with you at any moment in time, you can, you can think that and, and nobody can prove you wrong. I love that, by the way, Alan. I was actually thinking as well, because in your book as well, you also explore the possibility of, you said, you said it before earlier in the podcast as well, you were talking about multi being multiple universes. And I was actually mm -hmm. thinking as well, I mean, there could be also the possibility that, I know this is out there, but it could be the possibility that there is sort of multiple spiritual universes out there as well. Uh, uh, yes, of course. Um, when we talk about the, the multiple universes, of uh, the mat multiple material universes, that science talks about, we, we have something fairly specific in mind. We, we have, we're talking about a, a, a region of time and space that, that obeys the same physical principles as, as, as our universe does that obeys relativity and quantum physics, but has different values of, of the parameters, the other parameters. Uh, some of those other universes might be expanding faster than ours. Some of them might have a different 
strength of the nuclear force and so on. Some of them might have stars and planets and life, and some of them might not have any life at all, might not have any stars or planets. So it's a very uh, material picture. Uh, when you talk about a spiritual universe, which which I understand to be a non-material entity, whatever it is, something that not only non-material but doesn't exist in time and space, um, it's a little harder to attach particular qualities to it and so it's harder to answer the question whether there could be a lot of spiritual universes uh, or maybe just one spiritual universe yeah i like that as well is it i was actually going to just ask you a quick side question as well i mean is it actually i'm not sure if this is 100 percent correct but it is all is it also true now as well that the scientists have actually f- figured out that uh, the physical universe is also expanding is that correct now oh oh Yes, well, I mean, we, we've known we, we've known since 1929 that, that our universe, um, which we, we think might be just one of many universes, or it might be the only universe, we, we know that our universe is expanding, that the, that the space, amount of space in the universe is actually increasing, that the distance between any two galaxies is increasing. We've known that since uh, 1929. Uh, I think there's, there's universal agreement of that and uh that's from from that picture the the big bang model emerged because if the universe is expanding that means if you go backwards in time if you play that movie backwards the universe was contracting as you go backwards in time and you can actually calculate from the motion of the galaxies at, uh, the, the 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 point in time when all of the mass of the universe was was condensed into a, a tiny point, uh, and we can actually calculate that, and it's about 13.8 billion years ago, and we call that moment when the universe began expanding from that highly dense nugget, we call that the Big Bang. Oh, wow. So we're still experiencing the Big Bang, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It would have been nice, nice to have been there to see that, but of course, <laughs> life could not have existed. Life could not have existed at that moment because everything was pure energy. Yeah. What 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 do you think actually could be the? Um, I was actually thinking about this. What do you actually think could be sort of the next, say, next scientific breakthrough in terms of what we'll find? I mean, do you actually think in the future we may actually sort of be any sign I mean this is going out there a bit again but I'll, we love doing that but do you actually think there could be any like sort of possibilities of a scientific breakthrough in terms of sort of opening the sort of the views of perception in terms of how we view reality in the future well if we talk about how we view reality then you're talking about physics which is is just one branch of science um, I think there are great advances being made in biology uh, and engineering but if we look at just physics um, I think that some very, very important unanswered questions that, that may be answered in the next 50 years is, uh, one of them is, what is the, the nature of the dark matter? And we, we know that there's a lot of material in the universe that, that, that does not emit any light. Um, in fact, about uh, only about 5% of the material of the universe emits light, which we can see. We know that there's other material out there because we can see its gravitational effects, but we, we, we don't see it because it doesn't emit light, and we call that dark matter. And uh, 
uh, there are a lot of theories about what that dark matter could be. There's another 70% of the material of the universe that we call dark energy. So it's not material. Uh, it's, it's a form of energy that, that has an anti-gravitational effect. It makes the galaxies actually move faster away from each other rather than towards each other. And uh, we have measured the, the amount of dark energy in the universe, but we don't know what causes that energy. And uh, there are some theories, some speculations about that as well. There are also a number of physicists who are working on the question of, was there anything before the Big Bang? Uh, did the universe appear out of absolutely nothing? Or was there some kind of, of uh, quantum sea out there with universes popping into existence here and there like, like, like bubbles coming out of, from the bottom of a pond? Uh, and we, we know, we know what we don't know in that case. That is, we know that the theory that we need to develop in order to answer that question. It's called quantum gravity. But we don't yet have that theory. Um, and, and, uh, I think a lot of scientists believe that in the next 50 years or maybe 100 years that we will have that theory. We, we will have developed it. Uh, in the notebooks of theoretical physicists and on their blackboards. And then we might actually be able to answer this incredible question, was there anything before the Big Bang? Wow. And that is when we actually go into the sci-fi zone. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. by the way as well, and I'll, I'll, by the way, some of them questions as well, when, when you were rattling through all them different points there, I was actually thinking in my head there, we are just in a, an absolutely amazing point in human, in the in the human existence now where we can sort of we are in sort of this full flow just ex exploring all these different things and things like that mm -hmm. and then um, before as well just I want to touch on another point and see your thoughts on this because um, just like before as well when we were talking about sort of the spiritual side of sciences and things like that and, the, and the, them two worlds coming together I was actually love to see your thoughts on this. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about, and it's a question I wanted to ask you, ask you as well, and see what your thoughts were on it. But um, so let's see in the future. See, like, um, so we know that obviously technology in the future is going to continue to keep getting better and better, and things like that, and science mm -hmm. is going to keep improving. I mean, and people are talking about in the future how technology may actually be able to catch your dream, or sort of even capture a, let's see, like an out of body mm -hmm. experience or a psychedelic experience, or any other sort of transcendent experience, things like that. I mean, do you ever think in the future or do you actually envision the, the possibility that we will actually be able to have maybe have some sort of science or technology that can actually sort of capture these experiences, like say, like bring a sort of a technology that can capture a dream experience? Oh, uh, I definitely think it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think that that as uh, as neuroscience understands more and more about the workings of the brain and how the neurons work and how information is stored and neurons um, and retrieved, uh, I think that we will be able to simulate all kinds of experiences. We, we will be able to to uh, put memories into pe people's brains of things that actually never happened, but they think happened. Um, I think that we will be able to put implant computer chips into brains that can connect us directly to the internet so that we only need to think about a piece of information or a person that we want to contact 
and they are immediately in our heads via the the internet. Wow. Uh, there, there's no fundamental scientific reason in physics or biology why this can't happen, and so I think that it's just a matter of time. Yeah, that's that's some fascinating, that mind blown there, by the way, as that's well. Podcast yeah, as that's well. amazing point. And um, do you actually? How do you, I was actually thinking in my head there. I mean, let's say we do get to a point in the future where we can sort of. Um, generate a technology to sort of capture the experience of, of a dream or what it, or out-of-body experience whatever it is i mean what impact do you think that could actually have on sort of the human understanding about life in general well i i don't know whether it's going to 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 increase our our understanding of life in general um i do think that if you were able to have the experiences of other people and actually experience themselves, experience those things yourself. For example, uh, uh, a paralyzed person or a blind person or a person who had grown up very, very poor all of their lives. Um, I think that we would have much more empathy and understanding of our fellow human being. Uh, and uh, so to that extent, I think that it might help us understand more about life. It, it would be a wonderful thing if, if we could understand the experiences of people who had lived very different lives than ourselves. Yeah, and that's probably the beautiful note to wrap the podcast up on as well. And I just want to say as well, thank you so much for giving us your time as well. And through Powerhouse for Podcast, by the way, and um, so much, so much incredible knowledge as well. And uh, I was actually looking at the time there as well. And we're nearly, nearly on an hour already, and time is absolutely just sort of just flew by, hasn't it? It was amazing. Yes, yeah, it was amazing, brother. Well, you, 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 you started up a wonderful conversation, so I, I take my hat off to you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast time just absolutely flew by when we were talking to alan we had so much more we wanted to talk about with alan but we had to respect his time and we thank him from the bottom of our hearts for giving us the time he did and please check out all of his incredible books that are located in the usual places alan really is a prolific writer he has some incredible books so please check out the accidental universe einstein's dreams a sense of the mysterious and many others and thanks so much for all the people who have decided to, to support the podcast. It really means a lot to us. And every anyone who hasn't yet decided to become a Patreon member, it would be amazing if you could just consider joining the Patreon community and supporting the podcast. And when you do become a Patreon member by donating whatever amount each month, even if it's, even if it's only $2 a month, you will gain access to bonus content that is only available to Patreon subscribers. And we've actually just added a new bonus podcast to that Patreon page as well called Warrior vs. The Monk, where we get into many different topics, which I think you'll really find interesting. So anyway, we're going to be constantly keep adding new bonus conversations and rants over at that Patreon page as well over the next few months. So if this all does tickle your fancy, all you need to do is go to the Ascend podcast website and hit the subscribe button. And also in the link of this episode, we have a link that you can go to as well and support the podcast and gain access to bonus content. So anyway, thanks so much for taking time out your day just to listen to the podcast. It really means a lot to us. 
We love that yous are all coming on this journey with us. We're a big part of your journey, but yous are a huge part of ours. And just to add as well, to give you guys a little bit more insight, we have some incredible in-person podcasts lined up in the near future. And we also have a very special episode coming up to celebrate 100 episodes on the Ascend podcast. So anyway, we'll catch you next week, everyone. 